pipes. We can see all the silent wonders of the stars we want, but without someone to tap on the shoulder and say, hey, that's pretty cool. I mean, what's the point? It doesn't have to be on the shoulder, of course. Whatever, really, whatever they've got. So when that signal came through, the fever started. A beguiling pulse of purposeful, narrow-band, precise contact sent straight to the rock we were born and died on for tens of thousands of years. Millions, depending on who you include and we. Because we might not be alone. Even then, FDL travel was dangerous and almost prohibitively costly. Almost. Getting to that one star an inconceivable distance away had only just entered the realms of practicality, but almost without question the project started. In the meantime, we beamed everything we could think of straight in that direction, a deluge of information pushed into the great black abyss, our languages, our cultures, our proudest moments carefully edited by a committee of philosophers, filmmakers, marketeers, and absolutely no politicians. We didn't receive a response from that grand communication. Nothing further than the continuing and steady ping of electromagnetic contact. The moment those grand tunnelling ships pop out in an unknown solar system is never without ceremony. Re-emerging into physical space after decades of bending the very fabric of reality to our will was always going to be worth a gala dinner or something. But this particular detunnelling was going to be part of every human being's cultural story from that first sudden second of intense sunlight. Rotating around that star was a single planet. The impact on human society at seeing that little ball of solid matter on screens around the world, spinning around its star just like us, was unprecedented. We tried so hard not to get our hopes up. A simple pattern of blips and beeps, not complex enough to be a language, only just precise enough to cut above the static noise of the heavens. It was probably some hitherto unknown astronomical phenomenon we were warned. Yes, it did seem to be sent straight at Earth, and... Yes, there didn't seem to be a quasar there. And yes, gravitational lensing did suggest there was some kind of solid matter right in the Goldilocks zone of a medium-sized star. As it turned out, it was pipes. Billions of pipes shaped in a sphere. The orbiter, they'd call it, mostly just out of sheer confusion. A single spire stood up, a little over a mile high, poking out of the network. The antenna that had been beaming that beguiling pulse straight to our planet. The whole world had watched our best and brightest delve beneath layers of pipes to find more pipes. It was an organist's nightmare, a plumbing extravaganza, Escher's toilet, a whole hollow world made of pipes curving away forever, turning over and back, splitting up, joining together. From the inside it was more like the dream of a child who shouldn't have had that drink of water before bed than the answer to our pathetic shared loneliness. The makers of the thing were, of course, nowhere to be found. All we had to go on was a colossal water system, the purpose of which remained a mystery. Of course, they drafted in the scientists, the engineers, every brain they could convince to be shipped out here to the outer reaches of empty space. Suspended in one of the larger gaps in the pipes, near the surface, was hung a large, clear warehouse. That clear box contained Earth's best minds and best technology, shipped out to solve the largest riddle we'd yet discovered.
Dr. Jameson was asked to stick her nose into other people's business more often than she could realistically handle. She'd been top of her year every year, then author on the frankly unreasonable number of papers. She was a veritable genius. But all it took was a single male, and all her responsibilities, her projects and labs, were left hanging. And due to the severe secrecy involved in the invitation, they were left with only paltry excuses. She felt guilty about that. Some of these projects had been hers for years, but they'd asked her, and that in itself was a mystery worth solving. The inside of a tunnel was disappointingly dull, with no hint of the physical manipulations woven to bridge the interstellar distances visible to the human eye, so there was very little to stop her mulling over things in her mind. Just days and days of black, and then sudden sunlight. Clearing the windows of her cabin, the orbiter was drifting eponymously below the ship, only becoming more intriguing as the distance decreased, and she started to be able to make out the lines and curves and swirls of the pipes, turning from solid surface to network mesh, to porous, seemingly ad hoc chaos, finally surrounding her with its bizarreness. The insane pipes looked even more impressive in the flesh. It was probably the act of travelling through them that made them finally real. Pictures never captured the incredible sense of depth, even here on the short journey from the outside to the lab. Mallory Jameson watched the layers of cylinders pass through the windows, and wondered how long before it became a tourist destination for the wealthy. A depressingly short amount of time, she suspected, but as the transparent lab appeared between the maze of pipes and they descended the dock, her primary question rose again in her mind. Hello, hello, good morning. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, so, why me? It was disconcertingly warm in the lab, jarring with the vision beyond the walls, which looked more like an infinity of cold maintenance rooms and ducting hallways. Dr. Hendrik Kilk was de facto head of the project, and he had made sure to greet her personally as soon as she'd stepped off the ship. He was tall, blonde, classically Teutonic. He was a smart man, and a little taken aback by Jameson's immediate question. Why you? Dr. Jameson, your name is renowned in your field. You have participated in more successful projects than I care to name, or indeed could name. He smiled, arms open. His flattery was genuine, but Mallory was too tired to dance through it. Thank you, Dr. Kilk, but I think you know what I mean. My field is neuroscience. Why do you want me at the orbiter? She looked around the lab then, a clear plastic warehouse suspended in one of the cavities between the vast collections of pipes which sprawled in all directions. But closer too, her vision was littered with scientists. All of these people are, I believe, engineers, physicists, network specialists. Why do you want an old brain slicer on your team? Why do you think, said Kilk, smiling nervously. Because you have a brain for me to slice. I would assume that you found them, that you found the builders. It was difficult not to say the sentence dramatically, although the effect was mitigated a little by several days of travel and superluminal jet lag. Indeed you would. Most would, which is why we wanted to keep your involvement on the down low, so to speak. Jameson winced at the audible quotation marks. The public would jump to the same conclusion and become extremely excited, and I'm afraid it's just not the case. The builders of this remarkable structure remain undiscovered. Jameson hid her disappointment admirably. No, no, I'm afraid we dragged you all the way out here, because we'd like your opinion on these. He presented her with around ten 
huge sheets of paper obtained from an aide who was suddenly present and helpfully efficient and then gone again. She took the large, rough pages and cast a tired eye over them. On each, a sphere took up most of the paper, coloured by various hues in lines and squiggles crisscrossing within the greater circle. Clearly it was a diagram of the orbiter, coloured with some kind of heat map. It's a representation of the water pressures we're recording across the orbiter. Tell me, does it remind you of anything? He smiled again, and this time the nervousness had an air of excitement. Jameson looked closely. There were the interconnected systems, red tracing where the water went, cooling to blue where the pressure slacked. It was clear even from these diagrams that there were patterns here, structure in the network. She flicked through the papers. Red here, flaring up in the eastern quadrant on pages 3 and 4, fading again on page 5, moving elsewhere. She checked the timestamp. Each image was dated weeks apart. It did kind of look like... Oh, no. The antenna sent a new message around a month ago. Short range, straight to the monitoring equipment we've got stacked around it. It, uh, it changed our thinking a little, said Kilk. He gestured to the end of the hall. There was an enormous screen, lit not with reams of data, but with large block letters, unchanging. The screen said, Hello. My name is Rocky. That had been three weeks ago. She was certain now. The more Jameson discovered about this place, the more sure she became that there were organisations here she recognised, hidden amongst those she didn't. There was a meeting tomorrow and they'd agreed, the whole ragtag team down here, Jameson, Kilk, the engineers, and especially Richard Gulhick, until recently had been in charge of San Francisco's new sewage system and was tremendously excited at the turn his career had taken. The whole team were in agreement. They weren't going to like this at all. I don't like this at all, said General Hutchinson. He leaned back, obviously comfortable in his executive chair, and determined to make the most of it. The meeting room was on the Roosevelt, gently orbiting what half the room thought of as the orbiter, and the other half was coming to think of as Rocky. A huge, clear window showed their subject, framed pleasantly by the star it revolved around. Duly noted, General, said Kilk, but the evidence is overwhelming. Dr. Jameson, please. He motioned towards Mallory. It occurred to her that he seemed a lot smoother in this official scenario than he did in the lab. A strange social affectation. She cleared her throat. Well, the medium of the signals are different, and of course the vital systems are structured differently, which is troubling. As Dr. Umbato showed, the planetoid's hydrology is powered by a complex balance of solar thermal energy, gravitational action, tidal action and centripetal force, which necessitates certain design features not found in... I don't care about tidal action. The general looked completely exasperated. Is it? Or isn't it? Mallory looked the Air Force man in the eye. He was not a bad man, she knew. An explorer at heart, not a killer. Therefore keen and perfect to make first contact well-respected by his superiors, and well-liked by his crew from what she'd heard. He was just a man who thought he'd go down in the history books, only to find himself assigned to a planet-sized water park when the tunnel opened. Ambitious, but honest. In my professional opinion, the system known as the Orbiter, aka Rocky, is a fully functional brain, 
with sufficient complexity that we might well expect consciousness and sentience to arise from it. Mallory tried to quiet her impulse to hedge the statement, born of years of writing grant proposals and avoiding academic ridicule and jealousy. He wasn't a review panel. He wanted to know what she thought. She shrugged. Pipes function as neurons, sluice gates as synapses. It's all there. Consciousness, he said. It's a water feature. No offence, Richard. The general raised a hand theatrically at the sewage man. Golhick just smiled demurely. With respect, sir, it learnt English, presumably in the time it took between the beginning of the communication and the completion of the tunnel. That's 34 years to learn a whole alien language. Hutchinson sighed. Okay, so if it is, have we tried talking back? One of the more senior engineers spoke up. Yes, sir. We've been beaming messages into the antenna since we got the first message, uh, like a short-range version of the communication. We noted pressure spurts sent out from the antenna apparatus into the rest of the uh, system. But, I mean, the amount of noise, it would be impossible to trace where it all went. But we're quite certain it translated electromagnetic pulses into water pressure variations. The general covered his eyes. Are you trying to say it listened? Yes, sir. The thing is, even with the scale of the brain system, water is a lot slower than electricity. Don't patronise me, Harmon. So it's clever, but it thinks slowly. The engineer had trouble disguising the surprise in his face, Mallory noticed. Essentially, sir, yes. We can expect a response sometime in the next five to ten years. The general stared back at all of them, defeated. His eyes were hollow. Everyone around that table knew what he was thinking. It, uh, it isn't his fault, sir. As one, they turned towards the window. Rocky was happily orbiting his star, innocent of just how thoroughly he'd punctured our expectations of first contact. He is kind of cute, isn't he? ventured one of the lieutenants. His compatriots turned to look at him. What? He is... Bloody Christ, Teller, was the general's only response for a full minute before springing into sudden action. Okay, Kilk, we're doubling your funding. Hire who you need. Everyone in this room gets a pay rise and keeps their mouth shut, at least until I think of a way to break this to the press gently. Jameson, congratulations. You're the first hydro neuroscientist on record. Uh, I recommend more Pyrex workspaces for the for Rocky's interior and, I don't know, about... Twenty lawyers, may God forgive me. I want a shrink. No, two shrinks. One for him, one for me. Keep up the good work, ladies and gentlemen. Meeting adjourned. He meant it as well, standing up, nodding respectfully to the scientists, and turning to leave before most of the others had figured out how much of what he'd said had been a joke. While everyone filed out of the meeting room, Jameson stayed and watched Rocky for a while. The sun was warming his eastern hemisphere. She wondered what that meant. Was he more creative today? More analytic? Was he better at abstractions? Kilt joined her at the window. You know, everyone's still going to be asking who built him, and why. The materials they use, sufficient to withstand the pressures, the complexity of his design, it's 3rd century techniques with 22nd century materials. I mean, why build this when they could so clearly build much more efficient machines? Jameson wasn't going to answer, but one of the younger engineers who'd stayed to take in the view butted in. Why would you not build him? He grinned widely. Jameson just nodded, 
and smiled. <coughs> As it happened, they had to wait just over one year. Dr. Jameson was suited up against the harsh vacuum which persisted inside Rocky's brain. She tapped her student Kilda on the helmet encouragingly. The PhD student nodded with all the fearlessness of youth, then leaned back until the rope through her harness took up the tension. With a last smile at Jameson, the student calmly walked backwards off the pipe and abseiled into the void below. The last of her assistants off, Jameson returned to the Pyrex lab and removed her atmosphere suit. Her students were on a spelunking mission into the cerebral cortex. While she envied them a little, the mundane realities of being lowered into the depths of this brain were irritating enough to pass this umpteenth iteration of the task onto younger, more exploratory minds. Waiting behind at the lab to monitor the radio and readings and make sense of the data was the proper place for such an esteemed member of the team as herself. She turned her attention to the various top-of-the-line screens. Behind her, the big monitor blipped just once. Everyone in the room stopped and turned. The words had changed. The computers had picked up a new message from Rocky's antenna. The words glowed persistently over the smattering of hyperintelligent heads, every one of which was frozen in the middle of their endeavours. They read, Would you like to be my friends?